Hello and welcome to Pieces of History, I'm Colin McGrath. Joining me this week is David Winner. David is author of Brilliant Orange, The Neurotic Genius of Dutch Football, a seminal football book on the history of the Netherlands, from the birth of total football in the 60s, Johan Cruyff and Ajax, the Dutch national team, to the culture that spawned them by exploring and analysing its institutions and other areas of Dutch society, including architecture, art, churches and the concept of space. I'm not too bad. Uh, thanks very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. The first question really is, um, so can you tell me uh, just a bit about your background and how you really got into sports writing? I never think of myself as a sports writer. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about it to be to be logged like that. Um, but I, I, was, uh, I started on local papers in London where I wrote about Everything, including I had a film review, a film column, which was my favourite thing, on the Enfield Gazette, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and at the same time, for some reason, the, even though it was more of a sort of Tottenham area, uh, we had a we had a press pass uh, to Arsenal, um, and it was only sort of a couple of hundred words a week to write about Arsenal, but I. I there was about a season and a half, two seasons or something, where I was basically, and all I was doing was sitting in the press box and writing. I wasn't getting any kind of interesting stories, um, but I was getting a sort of a feel for 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 that at that time. And then um, I was writing a bit about local sports as well. I had uh, spent on the sports desk, but you know, really, I wasn't. I was that was the least of what I was doing. I was doing crime and local politics and 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 such. So I certainly wasn't a sports reporter per se. I mean, I could do a match report and I, you know, some some basics, but it wasn't it wasn't really a speciality. Um, and then in the late eighties, I got a job on the Jewish Chronicle. I was I was writing about politics and the Holocaust an awful lot. It wasn't a sort of official position to be Holocaust kind of reporter, but I was. It was that period where there was an awful lot of. Uh, films and books, survivors had had sort of been silent about their experiences for forty years or so, and then they, they, they sort of they, there's a, a large number of people sort of suddenly uh, in their sort of sixties and seventies uh, who'd suppressed all these horrible memories, and and then were sort of coming out and telling their stories, and, and there was an awful lot of that, and I got very obsessed with the subject, um, wrote a lot about it, and then in the early well, the beginning of 1990, I fell ill with um, what became, it, it started as a liver infection, and then it, 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 it was really very nasty. I was very, I was writing books and doing this job and running around like crazy, and I kind of was exhausted and got ME chronic fatigue. It started out as a liver infection, and then it, 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 I lost most of my 30s. For about two years, I could barely walk across a room, about 18 months like that. Um, and as I was recovering, um, I went back to sort of a teenage and, and boyish love that I had of Dutch football, um, just as a kind of antidote, really, to, to being sick and having written about all these heavy subjects. I'd written also books for kids, and also I'd written a book about the Green Movement with a guy called Jonathan Porritt. That was my first book in 88. 
um, called The Coming of the Greens. And it was um, um, so Jonathan was was head of Friends of the Earth at the time. Um, and later he became uh, advisor to uh, Prince Charles and Tony Blair. And he's he's not so well known now, but he was he was a big figure in the green movement at that time, and still is really. He was a, he's a tremendous guy. Um, anyway, so I, and I was very much the junior partner on that. I'd, I'd interviewed him and then suge- suggested the, this book, uh, which was about how green ideas were were, were moving into uh, every area of society. Uh, and I'd written some books for kids about human rights heroes. Um, so Peter Benenson, who founded Amnesty International, Raoul Wallenberg, who uh, saved uh, tens of thousands of uh, Hungarian Jews during the Holocaust and then was disappeared and almost certainly murdered by the Soviets, um, Desmond Tutu, um, and Eleanor Roosevelt. Anyway, I'd, I'd, done, a, I'd done all that. So, so that was my background. It wasn't, it wasn't really... Um, it wasn't really football at all, but to sort of, as I was getting better, it, it coincided with the with the um, the emergence of Dennis Bergkamp and Louis van Gaal, and then the great Ajax in the mid early mid nineties. And I had a, uh, you know, I, I talk about it in Brilliant Orange about you know my my love of the, of the Dutch football, um, and then it came again. It had come again in the late eighties, and now it was coming yet again, third generation. So and and kind of nobody in Britain was really paying attention very much. It was long before sort of widespread satellite cable telly, and I, I I was able to see these games while I was I was still fairly ill. Um, I had I had a cable channel, an Arabic cha- cable channel that showed Dutch games from sort of a month earlier, and I was able to watch a lot of that Dutch that Dutch and uh, Ajax team sort of from 92 onwards and um and a friend of mine one of my best friends from university a guy called chris maum m-a-u-m-e um he was he was something on the i forget news editor or something on sports news editor on the independent uh in london and through him i i got to do some pieces for, for the indie on on this new Dutch football, and then when I was getting you know a bit stronger and stuff, I started writing because I was I was doing this mainly by phone. I was calling people in Amsterdam, and and they were all very friendly and very open, and they would chatter chat away, and they were kind of pleased that he was was taking an interest because they they kind of looked up, still do I suppose to to it, but that must be fading fast. Uh, they they looked up. More. And historically because of the war and so on and i made some you know friends some friends by phone mostly at that time who were still friends and i'm still close to and and i the process of, of writing brilliant orange kind of started there and then in 97 i did my first piece for hard grass magazine um which was and still is sort of it's the prototype of all the intellectual football magazines around the world, really. So the Blizzard here, and um, there was a didn't last very long in the in the mid nineties. Um, Simon Cooper and Marcella 
Mora de Araujo had uh, were editing a thing called Perfect Pitch, sort of football, sort of um, long think, you know, sort of literary pieces about football, more or less, like a football granter. And that was kind of based on hard cross. And they had this incredible thing where they would come out every every three months, and each each time they published a, a, a new magazine, they would have a dinner in Amsterdam, this lovely restaurant in Amsterdam, and they would fly out, fly in, everybody who'd, uh, who'd written for them, that edition. And uh, if you came from London or, or, or Berlin or Sardinia, wherever you came from, they would fly you in, and it was just and and had this wonderful weekend and this lovely dinner, and this was a, a kind of really crucial moment for me. It was the first time I'd back, been back, first time I'd been anywhere outside London uh, since I'd got ill. Um, it was the first time I'd sort of been among all these sort of people who who knew all the great Dutchmen, and on one later occasion, Johnny Rep was actually at, at, at this dinner. Anyway, so so I I was suddenly I was I was mixing with with these with these Dutch journalists and Dutch footballers, and I started doing pieces for them. Meanwhile, I how did this come about? It, it, it's 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 long and, and not terribly interesting. But I I ended up as <laughs> it's interesting to me, but I don't think it'd be interesting to anybody else. I ended up as as co-translator of. Um, a book of interviews about Johan Cruyff, or interviews with Johan Cruyff, done by um, two Dutch TV uh, stars called Fritz Barend and Henk van Dorp. And I, the, the translation, I didn't speak a word of Dutch at that time, um, but my cousin-in-law, Lex van Dam, did. And he was, a, he was a big fan of Cruyff, and we used to watch Ajax games together. He had like a satellite telly link and you could watch Dutch games. And we, we did this together. He would sort of read a, read a paragraph and speak, you know, its rough meaning into a tape recorder. And then I would go through it word by word using a dictionary and kind of work out what what it meant and, and put it all into proper English. And the meanwhile, I'd had this idea to do a book about, about Holland and it, why did the Dutch play this beautiful football? Why did they do? Why did they do stuff so differently to us and to everybody else? And that had been germinating really from even the late eighties, but certainly by the early nineties, while I was ill. And I, I was originally going to do that with Chris. Um, Chris and I were going to do a, this book together. And it would be more in the spirit of Brian Glanville's book, Football Nemesis, where he was sort of written in the wake of uh, England losing to Hungary in the early fifties, about you know what what England should learn from the the you know the, the foreigners who who are now better than us, and that was a sort of theme because I used to you know I did, Brian Glanville was my was my football journalism hero. And I used to read him religiously, and it was a kind of big theme of his. You know, what could we learn from uh, from the Dutch? And it would have been uh, much more kind of, in England we do this, and in Holland they do that. It would have been a m- more of a comparison kind of book. Um, and then I can't remember why, but sort of Chris, you know, I, I, the project didn't really go anywhere. My agent 
who I'd had since the late eighties, um, she was not very interested in this book at all. And I, and I'd written various proposals and she, she'd sort of, I don't think with huge enthusiasm and certainly with no success, she'd sort of tried to interest editors in it and nobody was interested. And I'd sort of forgotten about it a bit. Uh, but I'd done already some interviews. For example, I'd done, um, I, I'd done the interviews with uh, Vic Buckingham and Bertie Mee, who I think by the time I came to do the book uh, had both died. Uh, Vic Buckingham certainly had. Um, so that was kind of from, from 92, 93, something like that. And I had, and and it was also kind of part of the part of the background to it was that another close friend from university, a guy called Simon O'Hagan. We were very close friends at university, and we bonded at that time over our shared love of, of, of Dutch things in general, and especially Dutch football. And we used to have long conversations um about you know what what are they doing that's so extraordinary they're so different they're so much more interesting to watch this is just a joy and there was a very important game for me was um, we came i was at university we were at university in birmingham at birmingham university um and i and simon came down on on a coach to watch the uh england netherlands game in February 1977, where Holland won 2-0, but it could have been 8-0. It was so vastly superior, and it was it was just thrilling and fascinating. And Cruyff was playing, was extraordinary. Um, the, the video doesn't really capture it because, you know, he would do this thing of sort of telling, every, where, telling, people, telling his colleagues where to go on the field and organising the whole thing. And you could sort of see him conducting it and this swirl of incredible movement and the, the technical skills were, in, were just out of this world. There was one point at which Wim Reisbergen, who'd been the, one of the, the central defender uh, in the 74 World Cup, a final player, um, but he was in the left-back position and he was passing up the line to to a teammate and there was an England forward in the way. I can't remember who the teammate or the England forward were. Um, and he was right over on the touchline and we were directly behind him. And again, you can't really see it from the video, but we, and we were talking about this again just a few weeks ago, we were absolutely amazed to see him bending the ball around the England player as if it was nothing. Uh, you know, a, a fullback. Well, he wasn't really a fullback, but he was in the fullback position. And um, so they were the. the I, I talk about it all in the in 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 Brilliant Orange. You know that it was like a higher civilization, and I had this. I don't know what some kind of connection with Holland, um, some affinity with it, and um, and that was kind of so after uh, after ninety seven. I'd done this book that came out, I forget, 1998, I suppose it would have come out, the book of interviews. And my line editor on that was a guy called Mike Jones, who then became um, the com- not the commissioning, a commissioning editor at Bloomsbury. Um, and I was, I was going to do a, a book about a completely different subject uh, for him, about a, a Berlin close harmony singing group who were kind of the musical superstars of the late 20s and early 30s 
called the Comedian Harmonists, which is a, a sort of a, a Holocaust and music type story because uh, there were six of them, three of them were Jewish, three not Jewish, and they and, and they they were split, of course, by the by by the Nazis, and then it did. I think they all survived the war. From, yeah, I think they all all did, and um, and it's it's a great, it's an extraordinary story. And I was going to do a book about them, and as you know, the 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 the, the Croft book had done well, not it hadn't sold well, but it'd been good, and it was a, a nice experience. And I'd written a kind of, it started the book of interviews more or less started in the nineties with Cruyff or a late eighties with Cruyff as Barcelona manager. And I, I said, well, you know, you, there's a whole, the, the big, most interesting part of his career as a player, which is what we remember in, in Britain. Um, we've got nothing on that. So I'll, I'll do you a few pages about that. And I've done that. And I, and that as a sort of introduction that had gone well. And as, so it would have been early 99, and I'd kind of almost forgotten about this this thing of, um, of trying to do a book, but because the, the the Cruyff book had gone well, and because Euro two thousand in Holland and, and Belgium was coming up, I pitched it to Mike, and it was just a, like a one one page proposal, um, and I'd had the title and the sort of basic idea for you know as I say for years. Um, and it was all about why were they so different? Why were they so interesting? And he said, "Oh yeah, absolutely, fantastic. Yeah, can you do it very quickly?" So, um, so that's how that was the sort of nuts and bolts of it, in probably too much detail. But that's that was that was how it happened. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic answer. So, if we could, there's may, there might be some people who are listening to this um, episode who maybe have never heard of Johan Cruyff or Total Football. Do you reckon we could do a quick synopsis of it within, say, five minutes? Like, in, in your in your opinion, like, why was Cruyff... Become, like, I know who he is anyway because I'm a big football fan. But for people who maybe aren't necessarily familiar with who he was and through his managerial career and his playing career, obviously, as well, why has he had such a big influence on football over the last, say, 30... Well, going on 40 years now? What, 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 like, who, who was he and, and why, do you think, why do you think that's happened? He was he was an unusually effective and beautiful player, and he was at the heart of this very beautiful and very effective new way of playing, which came out of a clear blue sky almost, because the, the Netherlands had not been any kind of football stronghold before him. And it wasn't just him, of course, but... Um, but it was, you know, he's he's the central figure by, by a, a big distance. Um and then it just explodes, and they're, they're they're suddenly much better than everybody else. I mean, miles better. So they um, Hugh McElvain in in his his book on football, which is a collection of of um, journalism pieces. I think in the in the seventy four one, he he quotes, and I forgot forget the guy's name, a a, a very important senior Brazilian figure, very knowledgeable Brazilian figure. In '74, so Brazil were the were the reigning champions. Four years before, they'd had um, what was generally considered the greatest team in history: the, the '70 World Cup team with Pelé and Rivellino and Jairzinho and Carlos Alberto and all that, and Hostel Guess and all that lot. Um, and they 
and there, here was here was this guy who was close to all of those uh, all of those personalities and, and and knew Brazilian football intimately and was kind of influential. Um, he he, McIlvenny quotes him in in seventy four saying, "The Dutch are was it ten years ahead, something like that." Anyway, they 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 just leapt ahead of everybody else from nowhere, and it wasn't just that they were winning and failing at the, in this very romantic way in the final in seventy four, which made everybody love them all the more because if they'd won, they'd have become sort of probably a bit obnoxious, but they lost, which was very beautiful. Um, and the, and they just you know, everybody who was watching that World Cup, and it was mainly that World Cup because they there'd been some of that with with Ajax. And we only saw really the the only games carried live at that time on telly were were the, were the finals, the European finals. But we'd seen three of them, and two of them were were pretty spectacular, especially the seventy two one. And here it was in seventy four, this this incredible style of football that was massively different and massively more beautiful than than most of what we'd seen before. And it was. Um, so Cruyff was was like a everybody, so like a ballet dancer. He was extraordinarily skillful, but also very graceful, and obviously hyper intelligent. And all the the whole team seemed to be they weren't all as graceful and as brilliant on the ball as he was, though some of them were very close. Um, and they moved in this extraordinary way. They moved as a as an eleven man collective. You know, this what is now kind of routine. The top teams like Bayern, like Liverpool, like City, uh, like Arsenal in the in the Venga, you know, height of the Wenger period, and a little bit again now the Pochettino Spurs, you know, all these all these teams, um, the Napoli of, uh, of of Sarri, the 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 national team of of Italy now suddenly, bizarrely, um, all playing in this in this way that you know you, it's a passing game. And there's lots of movement, and it's very front-footed and uh, and pressing. Jonathan Wilson has always talks about the, the the pressing as the sort of key thing. In, in tactically, the, the 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 Dutch in '74, the, the main, there were two main things. One, they would switch positions all the time, which was you know, so attackers would go into defence and vice versa, and and everybody would move around. This was bewildering. Nobody had ever seen this before. And the other thing, but well, you'd seen it a little bit with the Hungarians in the fifties, and some of it was kind of um, was a thing that just naturally happened with with teammates who were who were very brilliant and very and very used to each other. But the new thing, the entirely new thing, which was, was the pressing, it's very very aggressive, chasing the ball deep, you know, chasing down a. Um, Defenders and 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 opposition midfield players before they had a a chance to to get a move going, you know there'd be two three four uh, orange shirted Dutch guys just hurtling in on them, and it was spectacular. And in the World Cup uh, of seventy four, they they just brushed these these big opponents aside. Um, Argentina, they thrashed them four um, nil. They quite easily in the end beat the reigning world champions Brazil two nil. And then they lost because they got overconfident in the final, and they didn't prepare properly. And they were, they were sort of uh, they they ambushed themselves against a, a very solid, very good Germany team. Um, anyway, so you, there you had it. You had beauty, you had um, 
this rather adorable fragility. So it was uh, pretty much everybody who was watching it, even even lots of people in Germany, kind of wanted Holland to win that game and that and that tournament, and they didn't. So suddenly, you know, this is the, uh, the you know, like a like like a, a tragic romantic uh, poet or a, or a, <clears throat> a seven-year-old genius rock star from the sixties or, you know, Kurt Cobain or, or Marilyn Monroe or James Dean or something. It's, it's you know, the, the, the tragic, beautiful, genius, you know, unfulfilled potential thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it made a huge impact, impact on everyone. And um, I was just one of tens of millions, really. Like, like you said, you can see it throughout football t- in today. You know, you watch football, especially, obviously, um, Cruyff played for Ajax and then he moved to Barcelona. And then essentially the template for Barcelona over the last 30 years has been 4-3-3, essentially, like you were saying as well, a kind of total football moving okay, positions. The numbers the numbers are misleading. Alf Ramsey's England in 1966 played a kind of 4-3-3 as well, but it was a totally different. I mean, the numbers don't tell you what's going on. It was this, uh, you know, 4-3-3 was quite standard, but when the Dutch or the Catalonians talk about 4-3-3, they're talking about the Cruyffian 4-3-3. It's quite different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thierry Henry, who was a who was a big big fan, and um, when I did the the book, the Dennis Bergkamp book, he it was one of the things that stuck with me. He was talking very passionately about the Dutch, and he he always I thought he wore fourteen because of um, because of Cruyff, but he didn't. That was kind of almost an accident. He wore for the national team in France. He wore twelve, which was a, a sort of tribute to the number that Marco van Basten wore in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, but but Henri is a complete Dutch file in in terms mm-hmm. of football, um, mm-hmm. and he admired them very much. And he said, "Look, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, uh, four six zero. You know, whatever number you call it. A four six zero. Spain played a four six zero in I think it was at the Euro twenty twelve tournament, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was okay. still." You know, it doesn't matter what what the number, you know, positional numbers, because what you're seeing on the field doesn't really correspond to that. However much you can try and try and tactically, you know, argue it, it's not that. It's the state of mind much more, and the state of mind. It's you know, you can argue that there there are lots of different interpretations of it. Um, I was having a conversation the other the other week with Ari Hahn. Uh, who was one of the great guys from the 70s team, the Ajax and, and the Dutch national team. Unlike Cruyff, he played in two World Cup finals, Ari Hahn. Uh, and he was, but he, you know, he says, you know, he uh, his his template for football ideals, I mean, he went all, all around the world, but, you know, he, he, he most importantly, he played with Cruyff and, and was in that, in that wonderful Ajax and Holland team. Um, he said, "You well, the Barcelona in in, in Guardiola. So that's not really Cruyffian because they do this. So you know, they the pattern is always the same unless they they win the ball very close to the other team's goal and go immediately for goal. It's always you know the goalkeeper to uh, to PK, PK into midfield, and then he says, um, you know, and they pass it around for five minutes, and then finally, you know, there's a chance or a, or an attack." And he said that wasn't Johan. Cruyff would, was was all for you know very direct, very fast, very aggressive, direct football, but not in a Graham Taylor long ball direct. 
direct in in the Dutch way, in his way, hmm. uh, do things quickly, overwhelm the other team. You know the point. The point of the triangles and and and, and so on in, in midfield is to is to create a man over all the time, and so you're always just bearing down on them. And your creativity is not. Ju- this is also the, the most important thing in, in a way. So it's not about the dribbling. Though Cruyff was a very good dribbler, and so was Rensenbrink, and and even Serbia and Kroll, they could dribble, uh, and Hanukum could dribble. Um, in the '78 team, Rennie van der Kerkhoff was a, was, a, was a terrific dribbler and very quick. It wasn't about that. It was always, and it's still uh, the case now with with the modern Ajax and with the modern Dutch team, um, and with everybody who's followed. It's always a positional game. So you, the, you, the the way Hahn put it was say what what matters is not the man with the ball, but the people without the ball who are making space and running because they're you know. Um, if if a ball comes to me, then the third man or the fourth man is running because he knows I'm going to do it this, and somebody else is going to do that, and then I will get the ball over there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole different way of thinking about football in England, especially it was and Brazil, Argentina. It was always about you know beautiful football was the was the dribbler. So, you know, Stanley Matthews was the great hero in England. Um, in the 70s, the, the, the English, not the English authority, but English crowds loved the, uh, inverted commas, entertainers. You know, the people like George Best and uh, Charlie George and Frank Worthington and so on. Stan Bowles, Rodney Marsh. There weren't that many of them, but they were deeply loved because they could dribble and they could, could do tricks and score spectacular goals, but always as individuals. Um, there was very little uh, of this sort of passing and move thing, uh, which mm-hmm. was, which was, it was just a different, not just a different aesthetic. It was a, a Dutch uh, writer called Arthur Vanden Bochard had this very lovely line about, um, about Cruyff that he, he, he came up with a metaphysical solution to football. That you, if you play in a Cruyffian way, if you've got the players good enough to do it properly, you almost can't lose. It's almost impossible to lose and, until you meet somebody else doing the same thing. You know, so Barcelona, which which was very much in decay, we didn't realise quite how much in decay, and they 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 could sort of get by on it until they met a, a much better. Cruyffian team uh, in in Bayern Munich, who tore them to pieces, but not because the the, the Cruyffian thing had was wrong in itself. The the, the 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 Germans were just doing it so much better. I suppose like one of the main, whenever I've read the book and I've read it a few times now, um, and it's a question I've always wanted to ask is sometimes within the book, you know, the, the players, the teams, uh, Cruyff himself, and the managers take a, a, a second, like a, a backseat almost to the concept of space and you also obviously touch on Dutch art um, churches and architecture and landscape and yeah. how, how did you kind of come come around that kind of um, I suppose that, those different subjects areas with, within a football book because that's really the first time within a football book that I've read it's not just all about it was 4-0 on you know Saturday the next week it was 3-0 and here she scored and here's how they did it oh, yeah. why did you do it? All those, you know, and there was, there was this game and that game, and this was a great goal, and so on. I and mean, they all blur into one, don't they? Because I haven't told you anything about the way 
or there's some of them do, you know, the, the good ones do. They haven't told you anything about really how it happened. And so my to me, these things are not extraneous at all. They're just ways of trying to answer my central question of, you know, what what are the Dutch doing? How did they come up with this thing? How to explain it to myself, principally, because I'm trying to understand it. But also, um, it ends up as an explanation to, the, to them as well, which I was kind of quite surprised. So, uh, for instance, Rude van Nistelrooy said a, a very sweet thing about the book. He said, you know, as a Dutchman, reading this book is like it, like looking in the mirror and seeing things you, you about yourself you had never noticed before. Oh. So I, I was kind of, I didn't understand that space was the, was the key thing. Most of the research while I was in Amsterdam, which was, it was a sort of, I got there in August and the book was finished sort of March. And was published very fast in time for the, um, I mean, incredibly fast uh, in time for the Euros to to kick off. In so the book was published in May, two thousand. I'd got I'd got there the previous August and started work. And so I was basically for for those few months, and I was doing interviews, and I was researching and thinking because I didn't have an answer to the question: What is it that they're doing exactly? And the people, I had hunches that it was something to do with um, art and architecture, mostly, because when I was in Amsterdam or anywhere in Holland, but especially in Amsterdam, I was kind of, I just felt there was a, I, I, I intuited, I can't explain why, it wasn't a kind of logical uh, deduction, but I, it just felt like there was something similar in in the, the 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 way the the country and the city was organized and the way the football was organized and i i had this i don't think i used the image in in, in the book with uh, watching the the 90s ajax and dutch national team which were kind of virtually the same thing with different personnel so hiddink was the was the manager in in, in 98 and and Rijkaard was the manager in, of the national team in 2000 um, and Van Gaal had been the, uh, you know, the manager of two separate, virtually separate teams in the early nineties. But they were all; it was all basically one thing that was happening. So, as in '74, when uh, Rensenbrink and three Feyenoord guys were drafted in to play the Ajax system with nearly all Ajax old boys or, or, or current players by Meikles, who'd been the Ajax manager to make total football in '74. So you know that that broadly happened with um, with the national team in ninety eight and two thousand. Anyway, and I was watching this um, usually on TV, but in, in a, on a couple of occasions in, in in person. And I always had this this feeling that, that you're watching kind of tectonic plates being shuffled around. I had this kind of image of geology and card playing. So I, I, it was as if they were kind of shuffling the earth around like a card player would would sort of lay out cards on a table and then sort of whiz them around. Um, and so I was asking Dutch people uh, who I didn't, you know, all, most of the people in, in the book I'd not met before I, I, I heard about them and asked to interview them and, and met them and then they would suggest somebody else to meet and, and, and so on. 
for example, uh, this guy Rob Ruers, an art historian, who told me about Sunradam. I'd never even heard of Sunradam. Never, never, you know, I'd heard of you know, Vermeer and Rembrandt and Mondrian and so on, but I'd never heard of Sunradam. And, and when I saw the pictures, it was a revelation because this guy in the 17th century had painted church interiors. And it was exactly the same feeling that you got from the painting as you got from watching the Dutch national team playing. It was so I, a lot of that was, um, I think in the proposal that I originally wrote, there were separate chapters on art and architecture. And I remember being very impressed with the Dutch railway system and, 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 okay. and the journey that I took, um, because you could, it was just sort of beginning. The Channel Tunnel had opened, and you could, by changing trains in Brussels, you could go by train from Amsterdam to, to London. It was quite long, but but it was a nice way of doing it. And I remember going through, you know, for leaving Amsterdam and then going through the Dutch countryside, and then you hit Belgium, and it's a completely different landscape. Mm-hmm. You don't have the the kind of very elegant geometric. Um, precision planning and, and with a very light touch of, of, the, of the Dutch railway stations, for example. Suddenly it's a, it's a sort of Belgian chaos. You know, it sort of works, but it's a bit like England. You're not, you know, there's no sort of strategic plan. It's all sort of higgledy-piggledy and looks a bit run down. And you think, God, this is, this is so, so different. So I had those ideas, and, and as, I was, as I was talking to people, it was gradually sort of coalescing, and and the, the conversations that I had in the early nineties with people like Mick Buckingham and um, and Dave Sexton and Bertie Mee. When did I speak to Sexton? I can't remember, but he he makes it quite explicit. He said, you know, that it was always about space, and he puts it down to Meikles. He he doesn't really talk about Cruyff, because in in the early days of this Dutch football, Meikles was was considered the great organising genius. And Cruyff was, you know, putting into into practice Meikle's plan. Now we we understand it's like differently that Meikle, that that Meikle's was always actually very dependent for the creativity of, of dependent on the creativity of Cruyff. He wouldn't have got there on his own, but at the same time, Cruyff wouldn't have got there on his own either. And there were other people in that in that Ajax club in the late sixties and early seventies who were also terribly important. Um, they all made a contribution, and it was it was like a hot house of brilliance, and they're all sort of egging each other on. Like, you know, London, Liverpool became musical hot houses in the sixties. You know, suddenly Brit rock, British pop and rock happened out of out of very little. Suddenly, these you know these extraordinary or, or in the French oh sorry French the Italian Renaissance in Florence suddenly you you know the, the, this, this uh, artistic. So architecture and, and, and arts, the arts, especially painting and sculpture, suddenly explode in, in Florence because you've got this sort of concentration of talent and it's, they're all kind of – they're rivals with each other and they're, 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 they're inter, the relationships between them are kind of difficult and complicated, but it's very, very stimulating. Sorry, I forgot what the question was. No, um, no, that was a really good answer again. Um, no, it was essentially just why did you kind of incorporate – um, space. Oh, yeah. Well, and- oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the um, yeah, the subject drew me there. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't sit out to interview. I, I was going to definitely talk to some some architects and some art people, 
because I, I, I sensed there was something, something about that that, that, that might explain the football. Um, and also about the, um, the provos and the sort of hippiedom, the sort of freedom, the personal freedom thing in, in Holland in the sixties and early seventies. Um, but I, I didn't have a, a theory of Dutch football space at that time. That came with the book, doing the research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, and I thought, you know, are people just going to find this ridiculous? It's now become, you know, widely accepted. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, very much so, David. Like, I have I would read my fair share of football books um, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and a lot of them essentially follow the, the, the same pattern. Yes, it, it is about the matches and the players, but it's also around, depending on the country, I've, I've read a few on Spain and Germany, and it's... It, it doesn't focus it doesn't focus on the players it's all about the history um the political situation the culture as well so it's very much that's what i found about um your book in particular um it was the first one that i read that kind of incorporated everything about a culture and about a country into the football and it's it that seems to be the the template that everyone else has kind of followed over the years um it it seems to change not journalism, football, well, a bit, I suppose, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it was because of the book, but it certainly, football books sort of took on a different different slant. Yeah. It, it seemed mm-hmm. to sort of inspire, what, influence a, a mini-genre of people writing. I thought, actually, after after Brilliant Orange, I thought, well, I can have a great time now. I can, I can sort of spend the next decade or so, you know, doing the same sort of thing for, for different countries. <laughs> but of course, I didn't know very much about any other country, and others were already, <laughs> others were already doing it. So, for example, um, I had this idea because I, ha- I had an Italian girlfriend, and I, I moved to Italy in two thousand three. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really understand Italy at all. I ended up mm-hmm. doing a book about home, nothing to do with football, about food. Um, but John John uh, John Foot, who, who's a friend, he, he wrote this wonderful book, Calcio. He's a oh, that's David. Uh, that's an excellent book. That's really really Terrific. good. Terrific. Yeah. Um, but I could never have done that because I don't know anything about Italy, or I didn't at the time. And it's a smash. And he was a, he's a professor of Italian studies, and he speaks perfect Italian, and he knows the country inside out, and he knows a lot of football. And it's a terrific book. Mm. And mm. and in fact, um, Alex Bellos's book, Futebol, the, about Brazil. It was um, it was commissioned by Mike. Um, he said he said to, to Alex, you know, I want a, a brilliant orange on Brazil now. We had the editor, and he said, well, you know, but which was an obvious good move. And Alex is nothing like mine. It's, it's completely his own. It's a, also an absolutely wonderful book, and it's just his very, very quirky, very knowledgeable, interesting. You know, there's not there's not a dull chapter in that, and it's you you, you go away thinking, oh, I knew a lot more about Brazil than I than I did. You know, <laughs> so, and uh, I don't know. Jonathan Jonathan Wilson did a did a good one about about uh, Argentina, which was another fascinating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. culture. Um, yeah. So, but Phil Ball's book Morbo was, I think he I didn't read it. So it certainly wasn't an influence, but it, 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 he'd also, you know, he was doing the thing, you know, about the, the, the Spanish football state of mind. So it was an idea who, whose time had come, you know, whoever was going to do it, but it was it was going to happen. Um, 
and Nick Nick Hornby's book was more an influence, uh, Fever Pitch, because that kind of opened opened the way for everybody really, because it, it proved you could. If you read Fever Pitch now, it's full of almost. It's you know, I'm sorry, if I'm writing about football, but I like it. You know, you may think I'm a complete moron, but and nobody there's an apologetic sort of defiant mm. tone in it. Mm-hmm. And his friends were saying, oh, poor old Nick, this idiot. He's, you know, he's a lovely guy, but he's writing this rubbish nonsense about football. You know, he's got this kind of peculiar thing about. And, of course, it was a, a smash hit and a wonderful, wonderful book. And he and I are kind of the same age. And my one, um, the one rule that I had for myself while I was doing this was it cannot be anything like Fever Pitch. You know, that's mm-hmm. the one thing it does not touch. Um, because Fever Pitch had spawned loads of very bad imitations. Mm. Uh, all about, you know, um, and Nick talked about it in those feet. He said, um, you know, it's basically a sort of, it's it's a one joke book, but it's more than that, of course. But, you know, the, the joke is it's cold and we're rubbish. <laughs> that, that, there's, not, there's not a lot you can, you can do with that. I mean, you can do the one book, but but then do something else. So I suppose my final question would be: um, Is there so is there someone past or present in sport that you would like to write a book about, um, or you're thinking about doing one possibly? I'm thinking of doing one about Cruyff, actually, a sequel, yeah, uh, and I've sort of, uh, I've sort of started on it, um, which I don't want to say too much about, really. Of course, yeah, brilliant. I've I've also got a niche for you. What about Brilliant Green, the history of Irish football? That that could be a future project too. <laughs> it would it would be, but I I'm there are lots of wonderful Irish writers who could do mm. just to that subject. Could have talked all night, but um, thanks very much. Honestly, I really appreciate really appreciate your time. Uh, my pleasure. It was a lovely conversation. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Brilliant Orange is available on Amazon, Waterstones and all good bookshops. Pieces of History is written by me, Colin McGrath. If you would like to get involved in the show, you can get in touch on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Pieces of History. Thanks for listening.